Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. I know it has been a while, two weeks. I miss you guys too, but I am happy to be back. Needed a little bit of a break, but before I get things started, I want to give you guys a friendly neighborhood reminder. Please give us a follow on all of our forms on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Review and Preview Sports. And of course, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Now, before I get to my guest for the evening, my good buddy, Justin Ellick, I would like to talk a little bit about the New York Mets and their um, slump over the past All-Star break. Since last we spoke, the New York Mets have gone 6-12, and 12, a complete 180 from where the Yankees have been. But of course, I'll get right to that later. And first comment I see from the night comes from my mom. Welcome back, H. Thanks again for supporting mom. And Folks, remember, if you want to communicate and talk to us in the comment section, please do so just like my mom did. I more than welcome your positive contributions and your positive uh, takes, and I would love to discuss them with you guys as well on the side. But anyways, thank you, Ben. Uh, great to see you checking in as well. Anyways, back to the Mets. They've gone 6-12 and 12 since last we spoke. So here's how they did. They lost 3-4 or in Miami. They got swept in Philadelphia, which pretty much knocked them out of first place probably permanently they swept Washington, but then the wheels fell off in their series against the Dodgers and the giants Dodgers swept the home series. And then while they didn't get swept in LA, they lost two out of three and they also lost two out of three in San Francisco. So big question is what's been their main problem? Jeff McNeil. Oh my gosh. Remember when he was one of those guys that like was hitting, he was just a typical slap hitter guy who doesn't strike out. He has gone a complete 180. He's turned into a guy who's suddenly been trying to pull the ball, and I really don't think that's been working. And our first baseball-related comment of the night is from Tom Scavetta, host of Reeve and Reeve. Tom has it going. He says, the Mets do not change. People call me crazy and pessimistic. I call it logic. Well, Tom, it's funny. We were talking about this on the side not long before the show started, and you pretty much said it best. You were telling me all year the Mets are going to fall apart eventually sooner or later, and you've been proven right. And it's not just Jeff McNeil. Michael Conforto is a tip, one of those hitters that's up and down. We've seen the potential that he has, but he's another guy that's obviously been drawing the ire of the fans. Dom Smith, over the past 15 games, has been hitting 160. Ugh. J.D. Davis, a guy who's been up and down. He's a 300-hitter. But obviously, he's also had his moments where he has not come through in the clutch. 
the biggest example of him being up and down was that Dodger series in LA where he had two bases loaded strikeouts, but in the game where they won, he went two for four. I believe he had a home run and four RBIs in that game. And it really just goes to show you that the Mets could change their hitting coach all they want. The bottom line is the hitters just aren't producing. So, and that's been a thing with them for the past like few years. That's not just a Johnny come lately thing. Now, of course, let's not forget injuries are a factor too. Francisco Lindor being out with the oblique injury has not helped them at all. In fact, the Mets went 14 and 23 without him at the beginning of the all-star break. So that's that. I th- I feel like his absence has kind of been understated because yes, he hasn't been hitting as they've inspected. And I, obviously he has not been living up to that contract, but at the same time, he's a great fielder and he's one of those clubhouse leaders. And Paul and I, Paul from three and D have had these discussions on the side. He, he agreed. He has also agreed with me that Francisco Lindor's absence has been a big part. And obviously it goes without saying Jacob deGrom's injury we knew it was going to hurt, but are we really that surprised that it's been this big of an impact? No, because you need your ace to get you a win and get you a stop, but that has, and he's not been there. So obviously it goes without saying he hasn't pitched in the second half. And we really don't know if he's going to pitch in the second half at all. And by now at this point, I think it's pretty much too little too late because if I show you the standings right here, you will see that the Mets are six or seven games behind the Atlanta Braves. So they're, unless they want to pull a reverse 2007, I don't really think their chances of making the playoffs are very good. And also doesn't help that Javi Baez has spent some time on the DL since being acquired due to back spasms. And this is another guy that Tom was telling me he didn't really like that acquisition because of him being injury prone. But the bright side is he also had contributed in that Dodger win. He got went two for tour, two doubles and an RBI. So, I think it's safe to say, while there might still be a chance, the Mets have dug their own grave. And it begs the question, when Steve Cohen made that tweet, it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach, and the OPS numbers doesn't lie. Normally, I don't really like seeing owners try to call out their teams and, like, say something to the media. But in this case, I think he was right, and... You know, he wasn't going all George Steinbrenner's ran. I think he was telling his team they had to step it up. Now, the last thing, of course, I want to get into into with the Mets before I bring on my guy, Justin Ellick, as my guest. I want to talk about last night's game. Now, I was at this game. I was invited by my friend Josh Weinberg, who is a hardcore core San Francisco Giants fan. In fact, those of you who are watching this, you might remember he was my first ever guest on this show. And... Look how his prediction has come with regards to the Giants being a contending, contending team. It's crazy. But anyways, here are the things that stood out to me from that game that they played. The Mets hit into five, at least five double plays. And if I remember correctly, two or three of them involved getting a runner doubled off. The worst part came, the worst one was during the second inning. You had Jonathan Villar hitting a line drive that went deep into left field. Alex Dickerson made a great catch, but what, what, really surprising about that Javi Baez was on second he's running all the way to third he's not even looking back at the fielder he gets thrown out easily and doubled off like what is he doing like that's another example of how the Mets have just not been a really good fundamentally sound team and it just I on one hand I was laughing but on another hand I was just shaking my head because 
It's ridiculous. The, the next thing that happened, Chris Bryant hit a home run, but then he gifted a run when Pete Alonso hit a routine ground ball and threw it away. It allowed the Mets to tie the game. And then after Don Smith hit that RBI double to give the Mets the lead, I think this is really where the turning point of this game came because Mets were up two to one. You had runners at the corners, one out, had a chance to improve their lead. Pat Mazika comes up, and granted, obviously, the Mets have been without a catcher for a while, but the fact that he didn't do a double play at that moment kind of told you that the game was about to turn because the Mets could not add to their lead. And then the real discussion of that game was, did Louis Rojas make a mistake? Taiwan Walker was pitching six Six plus innings. He only gave up one run. He'd struggled a bit at the start of the second half, but this was definitely one of his better games. And in my personal opinion, I think he definitely made a mistake. He's gone through six plus innings. He's only give up one run. I feel like he really earned the right to get out of trouble. And him putting those runners on base in the top of the seventh inning weren't even his fault either. The first guy reached on air. The second guy hit a pop-up that nobody could caught. It just dropped. So, again, is it, is it really his fault? No. Then you bring in Aaron Loop. Immediately, Brandon Crawford, first pitch, hits an RBI double. And the crazy part is the Giants really came so close to blowing this game. They had a lot of chances where it could have been more than one run. And in the bottom of the ninth, the Mets loaded the bases. The thing that stood out to me was Dickerson, the fly ball that was hit to Dickerson. He and Austin Slater collided and... Dickerson ended up dropping the ball for an error. The Mets loaded the bases, but Pete Alonso could not come through. Mets end up losing three to two and definitely one of the more unusual Met games I have ever seen at City Field. And I've seen a good amount of them over the years. But, you know, let's talk about a real baseball team in New York. And who better to discuss the Yankees with than one of my great friends from high school, Justin Ellick. Ellick, how's it going, my man? What's up, Hank? It's good to talk to you, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Oh my gosh, no problem. First and foremost, uh, let's catch up a little bit. What what have you been doing podcast wise pretty much since we last like saw each other in high school? And let, and that's not counting the few encounters we've had at Yankee Stadium, of course. Sure, buddy. Yeah, no. So uh recently, uh last uh, about year or so, I've been working uh for WABC radio as an executive producer for a lot of the weekend programming that goes on there. And one of the perks of that is being able to have access to these state-of-the-art studios on a pretty, you know, regular basis. Um, so me and a coworker of mine, just uh, probably a few weeks ago, started up a, a visual and audio uh, incorporated podcast that you can find on YouTube. Go to 77WABC uh, Radio, their YouTube channel. You can also probably find us on our website at uh, WABCRadio.com. So right now we're calling it, and the name is up for debate. We're trying to come up with something a little bit more nifty, if you will. But the <laughs> name right now is, we're keeping it generic, which is called 77 WABC Sports Talk. Um, and we're having a lot of fun with it, you know. We just get up there, we kind of experiment with different ideas, different visual uh, aspects of, of, you know. I mean, we have a whole social media team that kind of helps us with uh, the visual aspect of, of uh, doing these live broadcasts. So it, uh, it's good stuff, and, uh, you know, we're slowly – kind of trying to build up uh, a little bit of momentum there that's awesome man i gotta i definitely want to check you guys out at some point after the show you gotta send me a link to one of your shows i'm really yeah, like power to see this i you can't believe it. i you didn't really know much about this until recently but anyways let's get on with our beloved new york yankees since last i talked about the yankees on this show they have gone a whopping 19 and 3 mm-hmm. so 
Sounds like a lot of catching up to do. And currently, they are on an 11-game winning streak. And yeah. what has gone right for the Yankees? Well, I'll quickly go over the series that they've played since I last did an episode here. We took two out of three from the Baltimore Orioles, three out of four from the Seattle Mariners, two out of three in Kansas City. Now, the White Sox series is where everything really started to tor- turn a corner for me personally, hope-wise, because after the trade, I like I knew the trades were going to help, make no mistake. But this was the series where I'm really starting to have my hope perk up a little bit. And don't get me wrong, I still kind of feel embarrassed about my pessimism early in the season. Not that it wasn't warranted, but at the same time, now it's like, oh my gosh, this team could legitimately compete. They took two out of three from Chicago. Now, granted, that was the series where we had that bad loss in the field of dream games. But if you had told me that it would take another at least 11 games for them to lose after that Field of Dreams game happened. I probably have been looking at you like, what are you, nuts? I will but- say this, though, Hank, about that about that Field of Dreams game. If, if we have to take the loss uh, in exchange for what, you know, Major League Baseball in general gained, you know, from doing that event and putting that on and, and the beautiful job that they did, I, you know, I, I would take that, especially in a ball game, you know, in a, in a the kind of performance that the White Sox and uh, and our beloved Yanks put on. I mean, that was a great right. ball game from start to finish. Oh, my gosh. It was – here's the thing I'm going to say about that game. I think it was fun to watch if you weren't really a fan of either team. Like, for me personally, it was like 7-2. to You saw Heaney have a meltdown. And then all of a sudden, Judge hits that home run in the ninth. I'm like, okay, they're trying to tease me. And then all of a sudden, boom, Stanton hits it. I'm like, oh, gosh, this is it. We're going to win. Little did I realize Zach Britton was pitching the ninth inning. (laughs) (laughs) And he still hasn't really recovered since. I mean, he's still struggling. No, I mean, he had a better outing in his last appearance, but he ended up having to go on the DL, and he's really had a rough go of it, too. And it stinks to see because this is a guy who, in years past, has been one of the more reliable pitchers in the bullpen. But it, it really proves my point about relief pitchers, you know? You can rely on them for maybe two or three years max, and then eventually, whether it be burnout, they just they fluctuate. That's how. Well, it and, and in the case of of Britain, you know, a lot of these relief pitchers nowadays have one have that one specialty pitch. And right. in the case of Britain, it's that power sinker. And if he doesn't have that going for him, he doesn't really have much else to go to. Um, and if he's leaving that up in the zone, right? I mean, a lot of a lot of these. Uh, you know, big league hitters say that there's really not a, a much easier pitch to hit than an elevated sinker um, because that ball is just kind of spinning right into the barrel of your bat. So, you know, I mean, for him, it's just about finding that groove again with that power sinker. And that's what I mean. That's one of the best pitches in the game. That's what makes him one of the best relievers in the game. So if he can find that groove again, I mean, obviously we've seen this guy as a limit for the guy. Oh my gosh, definitely. And the real thing that really changed my, like really started to give me hope about the White Sox series I came to, cause it made me realize this was at the point, remember where pretty much it felt like 70 to 80% of the team at least was either on the IL or was dealing with COVID most notably Anthony Rizzo. And for them to take three, two out of three in Chicago, like I had a bad feeling they were going to lose the Royal series actually, because of not having Anthony Rizzo. I, I looked at him as like the glue to that starting lineup. And I, I mm-hmm. still think he's the glue to the starting lineup given the leadership that he's provided and given the fact that he is the most stable first baseman we've had since Mark Teixeira. And that's not an exaggeration. 
Well, listen, if they don't if they don't tag him with an extension at some point this season, then I'd be I'd be pretty upset. Um, you know, oh I, I would I, I would think they got to give, you know, Rizzo some sort of bag in terms of, you know, the kind of money, relatively the kind of money that he wants. Right. I understand he's not the same player that he was maybe two or three years ago. Right. And you're starting to see a little bit of a decline. But I don't think there's any anything wrong with a four to six year deal here. No, not at all. And remember, you he he's a left-handed hitter, which is something that we have pretty much been screaming about all year up until Cashman finally pulled it off. And not to mention, as I said, he's got that leadership quality that you really want. Because let's face it, the Yankees were a rudderless ship up until that happened. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I mean, and, you had Judge, obviously, in the locker room trying to pump guys up as the season goes on and having those, you know, those player-only meetings. Um, but, uh, you know, at, at a certain point you need some sort of shakeup. Um, and, and for us, you know, at the, at the trade deadline, that was Gallo and Rizzo. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, what's lost during this winning streak, neither of them have really been hitting well, like we have really been hitting well, like everyone's not going to like, look at that because of the winning. But with that being said, what makes up for it is you still have Stanton and judge protecting them in the lineup. And then you also have the fact that they have they are pretty much gold glove players. I mean, Joey Gallo, I can give you multiple examples of where he has saved the Yankees in games with his glove during that win streak. Actually, yesterday's game is, is an example of that too. Right. That diving catch he made. And and you know, again, right, um it, it's it's not even with the way that they perform, the numbers that they put up personally. It's kind of the effect that they have on the rest of the lineup, plugging two lefties in to that lineup. And now you have that righty, lefty, righty, lefty stagger at the top, probably like one through six. You're staggering righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty. And that's a big, I mean, that's a gauntlet to get through if you're a starting pitcher, especially if you're going through that lineup two or three times. By the second or third time these hitters are facing you, I mean, they're going to they're gonna do some damage. That's just a matter of fact. Um, it's just a matter of how much damage they're going to do. So, I mean... You know, in, in, a, in a playoff series, I mean, there's, there's just no way for me to see an opposing pitcher being able to dominate this lineup top to bottom for six or seven or eight innings, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one other thing that hasn't really been talked about is look at the improvement of the starting pitching, too. I think that's another key, like, to October if they're going to have a successful and deep run in the playoffs. Like, Of course. And, and you've got Kluber, you know, pro- on the verge here coming back. Um, I mean, who knows, you know, what, what he'll come back with. But, I mean, before he went down, he was obviously throwing some really good ball. Definitely. And that's not even get including the fact that you still have Herman and Seve on the I.L. Of what course. production we're going to get from them. If we're even going to get one of them back, I don't know. But right. I think getting Kluber, in my opinion, this might sound like a hot take, might be the most important pitcher to get back just for the sheer fact that he's pitched in the postseason before with the mm-hmm. Cleveland Indians. Now, Granted, we know he hasn't always had been successful with the Cleveland Indians, but he's gotten to the point where he's like Pettit in the sense that when he pitched, this is something I noticed like back in May. This is based based off that. Right. He was relying on his smarts to win him games. That certainly looked like it was the case when he was throwing his no-hitter. Now, hopefully we don't find out otherwise that it's spider tech, but let me just knock on wood right there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Listen, Ed, with the way they're checking these days, if it was Spider Pack, he would have been uh, had a ten game suspension under his belt at this point. Um, you know, I mean, that yeah. to me, to me, that's a little, a little bit ridiculous. I mean, you don't, but as a starting pitcher, you don't necessarily need Spider Tag. I mean, it could be a mixture of really 
of really anything. But uh, to your point, right, about guys coming back here and, uh, and, and kind of giving the Yanks a boost on the bump, right, you still have Michael King, too, who's on the verge of coming back, potentially, who could be a good arm, you know, a good extended arm out of the bullpen. Um, you know, I, I think the problems really do lie with the back end of that bullpen. Obviously, Lil Weisinger has been extremely reliable, um, but he's really been the only one. I mean, Chad Green's been good as well, um, but good is, you know, just about as far as I'm going to go with him. I wouldn't say great, you know, I mean, but and, and I mean, watching Chapman every night is, you know, oh my God. 25 heart attacks. I, I can't take it. It's just I'm sitting there watching him sweat and I'm sweating and he's dripping. all. I mean, how can a human being sweat that much? I just I don't understand it. Hank. And, you know, it's obviously <laughs> starting, you know, maybe he's sweating so much. It's affecting his grip on the I can't get a hang. Like he just can't find the zone with his fastball on some of these nights. And it's, it's ridiculous. He's going to the slider. He hangs it. Guys are bashing him. He's walking guys. It's crazy. He can't get it out. Oh, my gosh. Don't even get me started about Chapman. Like. I made a tweet when the Yankees, I think it was his last game before he had to go on the IL briefly for the inflamed elbow. Mm. I said that watching Chapman pitch should probably come with a warning from the Surgeon General or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and a hitter you got to look at. Oh my gosh. Like he either has it or he doesn't. There's, I feel this is kind of a weird comparison, but I feel like he's the AJ Burnett of closers in that sense. He's mm. never in between. Right. And you remember early in the season, he was absolutely dominant. Yeah, of course. Oh, my God. He went, I mean, what was it? Almost 30 games? Or not, I mean, not 30, but, you know, he went a while without blowing a save. Um, I don't even think he allowed an earned run until, like, maybe late May, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. I think he had a, a flat ERA through, like, 30 appearances or something. I think that was the number. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously, when the guy turns it on, there's nobody better, but it's just a matter of, how bad are you going to get before you can turn it back on? Because it's starting to get a little dangerous here. Now, I will say this, though. With him being a free agent, could you potentially see Jonathan Luizaga, like, pitching in more closer situations, like, down the road? Because Definitely. Look, I really like what I've seen from him. I really do. I mean, yeah. back, you know, I mean, he's evolved from, you know, that, that kid we saw, um, Johnny Lasagna, you know, to now this potent, you know, like tatted up he's like you know he looks more he looks more buff you know he's obviously bulked up a little bit and he's pumping gas i mean he sits at like a hundred so i mean and and he can paint the corners i mean guys got control over a 100 mile an hour fastball I and mean, what more could you ask for out of a closing pitcher these days oh my gosh it's insane and the real th- my favorite johnny lasagna moment was the first game of the red sox series he gives up single, single, or he might have had a walk in between, but he gave up a single that was right through the shift to Schwarber. And then I believe he, he, de- I can't remember. It was either a walk or a single, second or third. Right. Not the point. Base is loaded. <laughs> and the next three guys, he gets fly out, strikeout, strikeout. Game over. Mm-hmm. He gets right out of that unscathed and like, that's a type of game that I feel like if it happened earlier, Red Sox probably come back and win. But oh, it, yeah. that game definitely is another example of how it's it's just such a different team. And Loisa right. had other moments this year, but that was that game in particular was the one that stood out to me of him being. Of black. course, of course. I think uh, you know first half of the season we were never firing on all you know, on all cylinders, and the rest of the AL East was. And you're still seeing that out of the Rays. I mean, the Rays are 
to be honest, to me, they're one of the biggest threats in the AL. Um, oh, probably, the, probably them and the White Sox are the two teams I'm most scared of. Uh, you know, I mean, it, now it, the way the Red Sox are playing currently doesn't scare me. Um, you know, they're struggling to find their identity again. And I think we're starting to build enough ground there in that wild card race that, I'm, you know, I mean, if we have to play them in a one game, in a one game wild card playoff, then I'm not too worried about the outcome of that game at this point. Obviously, it's that Red Sox Yankees, you know, chutzpah that comes yep. with it, but it'll be at the stadium. And then that gives me confidence. Yes. And uh, let me uh, post the uh, wild card standings for you right here, just so that you can see them. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And as I mentioned, we have two or three pitchers that are very capable of be, of shutting down that Red Sox lineup. If let's say it has to come down to that one game playoff, like right. I don't want to get my hopes up too high because we're not there yet. We're we we're still only a month away from the last regular season series against the Red Sox at Fenway Park, which I'm really excited Listen. to be going to that one. To hell with the wild card. I mean, let's let's chase after the let's chase after the division. I mean, you know, as far as I know, we still got games left against the Rays. Yeah. We to pick up some ground. So, um, you know, I mean, there's no reason to think that we can't sneak up on the Rays here and, and, and grab the division. I mean, especially with, I mean, as, as good as they are, they're, you know, I hate to say this, but they're still the Rays. Um, For sure. And, the know, Rays. At, at, at the end of the day, we have the, we have the entire Bronx, you know, on our backs and they have like 15 fans that show up to drop a can of field. So it's like, you know, let's let's be realistic here. It's like when it comes down to it, like, okay, if we're playing, you know, you guys at the trop, let's like we're bringing the we're bringing the Bronx with us. So it's like, you know, it's funny you should mention the trop because, or as I like to call that place, the circus tent. Yeah, that's often been considered a house of horrors. And by the way, Tom wants to let you know he you got a sick beard, and I agree with him. By the way, thanks, Tom. <laughs> Um, it takes a lot of hard work. Yeah, for sure. I've I've grown many of those myself during range. I remember. Runs, I, remember I remember. I remember. Uh, what I, what was I saying? Oh yeah, the Rays. So many people associate that as like the Yankees' house fours. It's kind of funny that I should say that because the Yankees actually had a winning record there this year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if, go ahead. No, no, no. I for, uh, yeah, you were saying something. I was just gonna say it's a nightmare to play there for any opposing team. I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, if you're not playing there on a, on a more regular basis, it's probably one of the harder ballparks to get accustomed to um, just due to the fact that it's not really a ballpark. It's like a, you know, it's like a candy land of some, some sort. It's like a, it's like if you had just a piece of concrete and you laid like a carpet over it, that would be like Tropicana. <laughs> that is so, <laughs> that's accurate actually. And not only that, didn't even put that stadium in downtown Tampa. They put it in like St. Petersburg, which is basically in the outskirts. Best thing for that franchise would be to get the get the hell out of there. You just get out of Tampa Bay. Either get out of Tampa Bay or just move right downtown, like the Buccaneers right. and the Lightning. Yeah. You see why they're why successful, fan wise. There you go. There but you go. anyways, um, let's get back to the lineup a little bit because there are a few guys who have really been uh, standing out to me hitting wise. Luke Voigt during this time becoming a DH he's been on fire and killing it. And I want to know your thoughts on his comments saying like, he's like, I'm not getting enough playing time. I was the home run leading home run hitter. Would you say that was fair or foul? See what I did there. <laughs> I <like that. laughs> 
<laughs> I would say it's fair. I would say it's fair. Not only is it fair, but I, I would, I would like, I'd love to see it. Um, you know, I, I think that brings not only, he's not coming out there saying, Hey, you know, I hate, I hate Anthony Rizzo and, and screw him <laughs> for coming and take and trying to take my job. It's like, neither of these guys had control over that situation. They're both trying to just go out there and help the team the best that they can. And from a managerial standpoint, if I'm Aaron Boone, I love to see that out of a guy who's, you know, kind of been on and off the IL all year, coming off obviously that great year he had in a shortened season, but still a great year. Um, any year you lead the league in home runs is, is a win. So, you know, coming back and trying to, you know, maintain that momentum as, as this big bat in the middle of this great lineup, I love to see it. I mean, that's motivate, you know, that motivates me. That would, and if I'm Anthony Rizzo, why wouldn't that motivate you? So, you know, I mean, it, it, I think it's a win-win. I think both guys are professionals at this point in their careers, and they're not going to really go head-to-head in terms of, hey, give me more playing time. Hey, give me more playing time. If I'm Aaron Boone, it's my job to figure out how to get both of these guys in the lineup every single day because that gives you the best chance of winning. I Yeah, no, and it, it's funny you say that because generally speaking, I think this is probably because of the Giants fan in me. I'm ten usually of the belief where it's like, oh, talk is cheap. Just play the game. But in this case, Luke Voigt's like not just like saying it. His bat's like been doing the talking, and right. he had a and great. It's, and it's not like he just said it, it right? He was asked a question. He was answering a question. Yeah, so no. Like, and and what know, do you expect I mean, him to say? Oh, I love right. I love being. Yeah, I love being hurt. I love not playing. You know, yeah, right. Whether, no. you know, I, I love riding the bat. I mean, come on. Like, let's be realistic here. There's no reason for anybody to be upset about his comments, I don't think. No, I I, I love it. And I love that it's helped him play better. And I love that you're seeing Rizzo play better, too. Maybe maybe not hitting-wise lately, but at the very I think, least. Yeah. Like I said, he's saved the Yankees with the glove. Like, look at the ninth inning of the game that Chapman almost blew. He made a diving stop that probably of a hit that probably would have been a double down the right field line. And then second thing he did was at the end of the game, when there was the ground ball ground out that like ended with a challenge, his scoop up that reminded me of many times where Teixeira bailed us out in years past. Yeah. yeah and Voight doesn't make that play. To be honest with you. No I'm way. Sure I love Luke Voight. He's not making that play. Oh, I completely so, agree with that. The you know, other guy that's really stood out to me, is John Carlos Stanton. And of course we kind of have to talk about him whenever we talk about the Yankees offense, because he's pretty much the uh, lightning rod elephant in the room, whatever you want to call it based on his contract. And looking at what's happened since he's come, a lot of people have soured on him at first and rightfully so, because you took on that like 13 year gajillion dollar contract. Like, of course you want him to do more, but Let's not forget, he did come up big in the postseason a lot last year. It certainly wasn't his fault they didn't make it past the Tampa Rays. Okay. This year, what one of the things that I felt with Giancarlo was I want to see him play more in the field, not be a DH. And I don't know about you, you Alec, but like I feel like him playing in the field has really made him a better hitter this year. I'm seeing a better approach of him at the plate. I'm not seeing that, that swing and miss. It's yeah. it's a totally different hitter. I love it, and I think that that would happen with anybody, man. I mean, just yeah. from experience of, of playing the game, I mean, you know, there's downtime, and to increase that downtime and and make your you know be be put in the lineup, slotted in as a DH, and you're now sitting out about a, you know two innings in between at bats. I mean, 
you can get you can get complacent you can get bored you can get tired you can get you know you're out of the you're out of the tune of the game you're out of the flow of the game you're not invested i mean that had to just even if you try to focus as best you can you're still what are you going to do sit on the top step and hang your hands over the bar of the dugout i mean come on like if you're playing the field you're into every single pitch you're mentally just checked in for the for the entire duration of the game you're not checking in checking out you're checking in for you know five, six pitches, you're checking out for two innings. I mean, if you're a DH, like, think about it, right? You're only involved in, like, a small percentage of the game, that that time that you're up at bat. Yeah. Or, you know, if you get on base, now you're a base runner, and, and you can impact the game in that way. But, I mean, you know, I, I think it would – that what, what we're seeing happen with Giancarlo would happen with, with any everyday DH if you just slotted him in the field. Um, and, and the problem is most DHs aren't good in the field. But Giancarlo uh, – has experience out there. First of all, he's got a cannon. Okay. And second of all, he can still move. So there's no reason that playing him in a corner outfield position, let's say left field, especially if you're going to have, you know, judgy and right. I mean, that's not a liability. I wouldn't say I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't go as far as to say, I mean, when he was in Miami, he was a gold glover. Right. For sure. And you so, know, another thing we mentioned, we mentioned the lineup being more balanced. I think, that's also another thing that's factored in him. Hitting I think part of it could be coincidental that, you know, we've now acquired these, these two new guys. And because of that, right. He's playing the field more, but I mean, who really knows if it because he's playing the field, but could be that staggered lineup. Exactly. Like you said, but I'm just under the belief that if you're in the field, if you're playing both ways, that automatically allows you to be more checked into the ball game. Definitely. I, I feel like it's gone hand in hand for sure, but now, as we get up to a big four-game series, what are your expectations going in, uh, going into Oakland? Now, remember how I mentioned that Tampa Bay was what many people called the House of Fours? I mm-hmm. beg to differ. I think it's Oakland. Because if you look at the Yankees and their track record playing in Oakland, you know they've only won once there since 2017? Wow. I didn't know that. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. What are what is your expectations going into the Oakland series? I think this is going to be the series where the Yankees finally get at least a split. Well, listen, I mean Oakland's a good team. Nobody's debating that. Um, and this has major wild card implications with Oakland just being, you know, right under the socks. So, I mean, it'd be great in any four game series. It's really hard to to go out there and sweep. I think a split. Um, against a team like this would be a win in most people's eyes, especially at this stage in the season and coming off 11 straight wins. Um, Listen, if they can go in and massacre the Oakland A's and win four straight and push this to a 15-game winning streak, then by all means, sign me up. I'll buy World Series tickets. But, like, you know, (laughs) I mean, but I just don't think the likelihood of that happening, especially against a team this good and a team that's played this good all season, is not that, you know, it's not that like as good as the Yankees are playing. I'm trying to be realistic here. I think a split would be a win. Well, here's the thing. A series win isn't entirely out of the question. Let me give you the uh, pitching. Let me give you the pitching lineups for this weekend. We got Tyon starting tonight. I believe Cole starting tomorrow night. Yes, he is against Sean Manaya. That could go either way. You got Nasty Nestor pitching. Oh my gosh, he's been filthy. Mm-hmm. I love great. Him. He's been he's, been, he's been one of their more consistent pitchers all season. Uh, yeah, and that mustache. Oh my gosh! It's 
It's got like a Thurman Munson, Sparky Lyle, or Catfish yeah. or Donnie Baseball like feel. Listen, man, he's he's crafty. I mean that that's the kind of stuff we've seen. That's the kind of energy we've seen in this surge of the Yankees. Coming, you know, energy coming from guys that you wouldn't expect. I mean, who would have thought we'd be throwing Nestor Cortez out there every five days at the beginning of the season? That wasn't really, you know, um, in the in the cards. So listen, pitched seven innings in one of the in that game against the Twins too. That was incredible. And mm-hmm. also, yeah. I forgot to mention before I forget Monty's pitching the fourth game. So really, honestly, when I looked at the second game, of that brave series, I was like, okay, that can go either way. I'm just glad the Yankees have their rotation set up for the Oakland A series. Like mm-hmm. now granted I had, they lost with in the ninth inning, the way it almost happened, I would have been extremely like, no, right. what just happened? But yeah, <laughs> still, if it had been just like a normal loss, the Atlanta Braves, I've been like, Oh, okay. At least you got your pitching. It's like back in the old days when the Giants were good, and it's like you play the, I don't know, the San Diego Chargers, you lose them, you have the Cowboys next week. It's like you trade a loss to the Chargers for for the Dallas Cowboys. But you know what? Screw that. I'm greedy. I want to get like at least three out of four against the Oakland A's. I don't know about you. Of course. Totally. Um, It's just, it's tough going into Oakland. I mean, that's not a fun place to play, like you mentioned, for the Yankees. Um, But three out of four, obviously, is not out of the question. The way this team is going with the guys we got going on the bump for these these four games, I have complete and utter faith in. Um, So, you know, and I'm never going to sit here and say that the Oakland A's are a better baseball team than the New York Yankees, no matter how bad the Yankees are. So, you know, my, my brain won't allow me to work that way. Um, so we'll be going into everyone. The only problem is first pitch is like nine, 10 o'clock. So staying up for these games is going to be, uh, is going to be tough. We can do it though. We're hardcore, I think we can do hardcore it. pinstripe fans. We got this. Yeah, I think we can do it. I've stayed up. I remember back in group, back when we were at Greeley, remember I stayed up for like all three games of like a West course Rangers road trip. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, remember that. I remember that, but, um, so, you know, Anaheim's been an annoying place too. Like everyone forgets that Anaheim used to be a place that was like a real house of horrors for the Yankees. But yeah, you know what? I think they they should take two or three there. Now that's a team that's been like an absolute waste, and you can thank Artie Marino for that. But yeah, I mean, you're wasting you're wasting uh, world class talent. That is a discussion for another day for sure. Exactly. Now, by the way, if you don't mind, you if you want, I'm going to switch a little bit of yours besides the Yankees and talk a little bit about what's been going on around, around the MLB. Mickey yeah. Cabrera, as you probably remember, hit his 500th home run this past weekend. I don't know about you, but personally, Mickey Cabrera, in my eyes, was definitely, in his prime, one of the best hitters I've ever seen. Oh, you incredible. look at that swing, like, he never really looked like he was a true power hitter, but yet... He has the strength to where, like, he tries to hit one into the gap, and it's like he's got that extra oomph where it goes, like, over the fence. Well, and, and you know, when, when you grow up, you know, going to hitting coaches and then kind of learning the mechanics of a baseball swing, you know, a lot of times hitting coaches, you talk about the quickness of your hands. And that's all Miggy Cabrera, Cabrera ever, you know, really ever was with his swing, was just throwing his hands to the ball, and he was strong enough that he could power it out to all fields. Um, you know, I mean, you saw, obviously when he kind of bulked up a little bit later in his career, uh, right. he was able to really turn it on. I mean, those, there were, I mean, what he won the triple crown, um, and, and like an MVP within like three seasons, if I'm right. not mistaken. So, you know, I mean that those, we were seeing num we were seeing him put up numbers. Obviously we haven't seen in generations. I mean, nobody had won the triple crown until he had won it since Ted Williams. Right. Oh no. Last triple crown actually was Yaz. 
Right oh, to email. Yes. That, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yes. You also had so, Nick Channel in 56. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, I mean, but point of the story is it's been a, it was a very long time until that had happened again. And he kind of, you know, made it, made it cool again. I mean, now we're obviously in a shortened season last year, we saw a couple guys floor with it, but I think we're going to start to see, you know, three or four years down the road, start to see guys regularly put up triple crown numbers. Um, yeah, no, I that would be that, pretty cool. I think that's because of the way kind of Miggy played in, in that, in that span of his career that we would call his prime. Um, he's without a doubt, I would have to imagine a first ballot hall of famer. Um, and I'm just interested to see how many more he can put up. If he can get to six or 700, I don't know how much longer he's going to play, but we'll see. Pro- he admitted himself. He probably only has like one or two years left on his, of his career, but yeah. I nevertheless, when he was in his prime, one of the things that amazed me about him he could tell what a pitcher was going to throw like, and that's evidence oh, yeah. on how many hits he got. Like he, he was very impressive. And my favorite, of course, Miggy moment. Well, actually, I don't know if I'd want to call it favorite moment. Cause this was August 9th and August 11th. The two, this was a three game series at Yankee stadium. I'm sure you remember, you know where I'm going with this faced off against Mariano in the ninth inning epic at bat and if i remember correctly he was playing on like one leg because i remember the 2013 season yeah he almost won triple crown again that year but then yeah he he got hurt and wasn't quite the same the second fact in fact they actually i think jim leland had to like bench him like a good amount of times just to make sure he was okay for the playoffs and i feel like if he was fully healthy during that full playoff run i think that would have been the year the tigers won the world series but anyway back to that game he had that epic at bat he hits a game-tying home run off Mariano. And then two days later, he does the same thing. And I'm like, I wasn't as much as I wanted to be like, oh, dang, Mariano blew the save. And mind you, this was actually the only time Mariano had blown saves in back-to-back appearances yep. in, in the regular season, I think. Yep. yep. So that's what made it all the more impressive. But I loved how Mar- even Mariano, like, couldn't you couldn't help but by the look on his face tell he had some natural respect for Miggy right there. So that – that definitely was a moment that I'll never forget. And I just remember being so in awe watching that. And that again goes back, you know, it goes back to the mechanics of the swing. I mean, without having lightning quick hands like he had or has still, you know, I mean, we still had been putting up decent numbers at an age, at an age like this. Um, you know, I mean, being able to go out there on one leg and barely use your lower half and still power out you know, power a ball out of the ballpark. I mean, it takes an extreme amount of, of just hand strength and quickness through the zone. So, you know. Yeah, no, for sure. And one more thing I want to talk about right before I wrap up the show. So there's been a lot of playoff chases that have been really intriguing. Here's one that I find intriguing, but isn't really talked about enough. And that's the NL wildcard chase. Now, obviously, you've got the Dodgers being way ahead of the second place team and that's Cincinnati Reds but I'll tell you the crazy part is you look at the um you look at the Padres like before the season I figured that they would be like a serious contender now granted I never thought they were going to overtake the Dodgers like I thought LA was way too talented now San Francisco on the other hand is another matter entirely but let's look at them before the season they have a rotation with that consists of guys like Chris Paddock, Blake Snell, and you Darvish. You Darvish's ERA right now during this season is 3.70. Blake Snell's even worse, 4.80. So 
In other words, I kind of thought the Padres were somewhat overhyped. Now, granted, I love me some Fernando Tatis. He is a lot of fun to watch, but even he's been struggling as of late. Mm-hmm. Yep. Have you what What is your overall take on the Padres and their collapse? Listen, if they don't make the playoffs, that's that's. I mean, that's a complete failure of a season. I mean, the way they stacked up, and even at the even at the trade deadline, picking up a guy like Adam Frazier, bringing him into town. Um, you know, I mean, that guy's on the verge of winning the batting club. So, I mean, there's, you know, uh, you've gone all in here and you're still only eight games over, over 500. And that's, to me, that's embarrassing. I mean, oh, you, sure. you, yeah, you, you say, you say they, you know, you say you think you, you never really thought they would compete with the Dodgers. I, I really thought they would. I, I thought they would r- almost not run away with that division, but right to, to be kind of like, you know, not even really anywhere close to winning that division is kind of like is laughable to me. I mean, obviously the giants have had a remarkable season, um, you know, and, and kind of surprised everyone in terms of how the, the clip at which they've been able to win ball games. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why you're seeing the Dodgers and the Padres both in the wild card race and not one of them leading that division. But to me, at the same time, you've invested so much in, into building this team. If you're, if you're management for San Diego, and you're 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 not even going to squeak out a playoff for uh, that, that's an issue, and somebody's got to go if that's the case. Probably going to be Preller because remember remember what happened last time he tried to overload that team with talent. They yep. ended up much worse, yep. and so they ended up losing eleven of thirteen of their last thirteen games. And it should be noted that this came during a stretch where they lost three out of four to the Diamondbacks, and got, they got swept by the Rockies. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care if you're not the best team in your division. That's inexcusable. And another thing that should be noted, did you know that they just fired our old friend Larry Rothschild? Remember him? Mm-hmm. I do. I do. That's sad. That's sad. Yeah. Unfortunate. I mean, listen, to me, um, you know, putting all the blame on a pitching coach and, and firing him because his pitchers aren't performing, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what – how, how much I would attribute that blame to the pitching coach. You bring in these guys that are seasoned, you know, pitchers that know how to pitch, that in Blake Snell's case know how to go out and win a Cy Young, uh, you're not teaching a whole lot to Blake Snell. No. So if he comes in and doesn't perform as a pitching coach, how, how much of that is really your fault? I mean, do you really have to go out and coach a Blake Snell to pitch well? I mean, you know, I don't know how much that's going to do firing the pitching coach, um, but I guess we'll find out, you know. It's like what I said day, about the with their hitting. Like, you know, right. they they have guys who are potential, but considering they fired Chili Davis and they're now on their second hitting coach this year, was the hitting coach really right. the problem all along? Not looking it's like, like what, it. What do these professionals not know about hitting that they haven't already tried to figure out already? You know, I mean, no right. hitting coach is going in there and, and changing up your swing or changing the way, you know, I mean, not drastically, they're not going to go in there and, and change the way that, you know, you, you try and mechanically hit the baseball um, by any drastic mm-hmm. measure. So, you know, the only thing they're implementing is maybe like a team wide, you know, uh, hitting policy or in the pitching coach's case, you know, a rotation wide pitching philosophy. Um, but in that case, what, what sort of pitching coach is, is implementing that sort of thing without, consulting the rest of their coaching staff, like the manager. Um, and sure. if it was really that much of an issue, why haven't veterans in the rotation gone to higher powers that be and say, listen, 
this guy's not doing the job we're expecting him to do. And as far as I know, that wasn't the case. They just fired him because yeah, they needed somebody to fire. They needed a scapegoat. And yeah, he pretty much nailed it on the head. Like, yeah, I don't think it's entirely his fault that, and it's also not his fault that the hitters have gone like two eight had been hitting two eighteen during that stretch. So, right. I mean, no, no I matter how good you are at pitching, numbers during need, the stretch, you need run support. I looked at Tatis's numbers during the stretch. Now, granted, he did have a, hit a big home run. I don't know if you saw the highlights of that crazy game against Dodgers. That was nuts. Like, no way I could have stayed up for that one, even if we were fans of that, because that game ended at three o three in the morning. So that's right. that's insane. But oh my gosh. But in, in any event, you had hit, Tatis hitting like one sixty, Machado's hitting around the same. That's horrible. Yeah. These are the two guys you're relying on to like come through and yeah. you're paying big money to both of them. So yeah. somebody's definitely going to get fired after the season if they don't even make the playoffs. Somebody, but I mean, listen, at the end of the day, it's the same, you know, I mean, these guys have to go out and perform. But um, with yeah. that having been said, I don't think it's fair to shame on the Padre to shame the Padres without necessarily giving the Reds credit because you look at where the Reds have been. At one point, they were like barely above 500. Now that I think, I think in their stretch, they've won like 20 of their 30 games. Mm-hmm. Joey Votto yep. has hit 23 home runs since Nick June. Castellanos. Yeah, no, Nick Castellanos hitting 320, 23 home runs, 71 RBIs. Joey Votto actually almost tied the record of most consecutive days of the home run. He was yep. literally within inches. I remember that. I remember that. He has been one of the more underrated players in the league that you don't really hear getting talked about because he's, like, been with the team that's not really been contending over the years. But now, like, they're they're definitely going to – at the very least, I could see them possibly winning that wild card. You know they're not going to catch Milwaukee. Milwaukee is too good. Milwaukee – Milwaukee might actually have the easiest path in the playoffs in the National League because you look at that pitching rotation, you got Willie Peralta, you got Corbin Mm -hmm. Burns, you got Brandon Woodruff, like – if the Dodgers or the Giants have to play them in the playoffs, I'm not saying they're going to lose that series. They're going to, at the very least, going to have their hands full. But back to the Reds. They have had a lot of momentum since then. Let's not forget, Jonathan India is a Rookie of the Year candidate. I think he's probably going to win Rookie of the Year. He's hitting 280, 16 home runs, 56 RBIs. I don't think they're going anywhere without him. And mm-hmm. pitching, now granted the pitching isn't great, but Tyler, I think his name his name's pronounced Mally. Tyler Malley yeah. and, um, and Wade Miley, they've been pretty solid. They both have, t- have had 10 wins. Now, here's an interesting question. Should the, the Reds get to the wild card game? Let's assume they have to play on the road because nobody's catching either San Francisco or L.A., whoever wins that division. Do you start Wade Miley or Tyler Malley? Now, on the surface, you would think it's, it's an easy one because Wade Miley has had the years. He's been around the block. But when I tell you Tyler Malley's numbers – his ERA on the road is 1.86, and he's only given up three home runs this season. So that's going to be an interesting problem. And can you imagine if the Reds actually do upset one of those teams? Listen, they're a good, they're a good ball club. Um, you know, they're firing on all cylinders here, which, as we've seen, makes them very formidable. Uh, if they can continue to hit the way that they're hitting, if they can continue to pitch the way that they're pitching, there's no reason why they wouldn't upset. I mean, listen, in a one-game wild card playoff, anybody can come out of that. I mean, yes. baseball, baseball is a sort of game where you can put the worst team in the league up against the best team in the league. And on any given day, that worst team is going, you know, can not easily beat the better team, but 
you know, I mean, it's not going to be 10 out of 10 that the better team beats, beats, you know, the worst team in that scenario. Um, and with the way the Reds are playing, they're not necessarily even going to be that worst team. Uh, you know, Nick Castellanos, I've been saying since he's, since he's been in Detroit, is one of the best hitters in, in the league. Uh, the guy's got like the sweetest right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's got like the sweetest right-handed swing I've ever seen. Um, and I mean, he just rakes. That's the bottom line. And he the only tough part for the Reds is he's, he's probably going to opt out of his contract after the season. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, they're probably not going to pay him, but regardless, like, that's that's a run that I don't think that franchise – well, I know they made the playoffs in 2020, but I'm talking about in a regular 162-game season. That's a This is the kind of run the, that Reds fans haven't really seen in quite some time. And if, if they get a home playoff game, that you know that place is going to get sold out. Yeah, look out. Look out. Listen, I mean, we, we, baseball, like I said, you know, like unlike any other sport, you're not going to see – I mean, other than the NBA this season, which was a little bit out of the ordinary with, you know, the Bucks going ahead and winning the championship – in any other sport, you're not really going to see a mix-up of, of of this sort in the playoffs. I mean, we see, you know, we see teams win the World Series that we would never expect. I mean, what, you know, what we're seeing out of the Giants all year is something nobody expected. So to now see them and probably, you know, they'll probably head into the uh, most more than likely head into that NL NL uh, bracket as a one seed. I mean, dude, look out. So before I end the show, I do want to show my mom's comment. Justin was the life of the party on <laughs> Greeley Varsity Baseball. You certainly were. I always oh, felt yeah. your energy every single day. I'll never forget that day where you were like catching that routine fly ball. And I've never seen anybody so excited to catch a routine fly ball. Like, no joke. It was well, awesome. Well, listen, and you know, nothing against the program, but we were in a place at the time. We needed a little, we needed, you know, we needed to pump up, uh, pump up the energy a little bit. We needed a, little bit of a boost. So, you know, uh, not that it's that hard to catch a routine fly ball. Or it wasn't that hard for me at the time. I haven't caught, you know, tried to catch a fly ball in a while. But, um, you know, uh, I think the team just needed a little bit, a little bit of life at the moment. And uh, hopefully I was able to provide that. I at least was able to provide that for you, Hank. Oh, definitely. And before I go and end off with my closing spiel, Alec, please remind us again where we can find you. Sure. So uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at the real Justin Ellick. Uh, you know, <laughs> fun, fun little follow if you're up for it. Um, obviously, the podcast, 77 WABC Sports Talk. You can uh, find us at uh, WABCradio.com and uh, on the YouTube channel as well. So, uh, you know, uh, the first the, the two episodes we have uh, produced at this point, I'm not sure if they're public yet but they will be released uh, within, you know, at least the next week uh, once we get the podcast network completely launched. So once that happens, um, I'll be sure to let Hank know so he can let all of you guys know. Oh, we can get rocking and rolling. That's awesome, man. I can't wait to see you expand your career within the podcasting and just in the sports meter overall. And listen, I hope we stay in touch for like years to come. And I would certainly love to have you on more episodes of this show, whether it be about talking Yankees or just talking baseball in general. Yeah, of course, Hank. And we'll have to have you on my podcast as well, man. You know, I'll have to repay the favor. That's awesome. Well, before I go, let me remind you guys once again, please give us a follow on all of our forms of social media. You can find us, of course, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Review and Preview Sports. And of course, do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, at review and preview sorts. Now, 
before I sign off, I do want to make a little announcement for you guys. So as you know, for most of the season, we have been putting the show on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Well, starting next week, we are going to have to move to Wednesday nights at 7. For obviously, as you can tell, September is coming up. Football is going to be just around the corner. I will be doing Big Blue Avenue at 7 with my guy, Tom Scavetta, as always. That's going to be a lot of fun, but that does not mean hitting for the cycle is going anywhere. We are just moving to Wednesdays at 7, and I'm really excited for this stretch to be recording stuff for baseball and then talking some Giants football. It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait, but until next time, you guys have watched another episode of Hitting for the Cycle. This is Hank and Dichter. I will see you guys next week.